Hey there, I've been listening to The Message. It's an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and from GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so you should go and listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing the people who listen to it. Search for The Message on iTunes. Happy Hanukkah! Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined, as ever, by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hi. And Senior Writer Leah Leibowitz. Can I just read a note that has been left behind in the studio where we record this podcast? Leah, I'll so, do it. I, I don't know who recorded this, but this is what the handwritten note says. Wait, wait, wait. This is, this is not safe for workplace, right? Uh, or children. Well, you know, it depends on your uh, views on morality and human sexuality. This says... Uh, he most likely is not circumcised, which is why he does not care for hand jobs. Just FYI, why why don't we have that kind of podcast where we could write each other that kind of note? I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, this was left behind for the people from New York Magazine who tape sex lives. Is that right, Julie? Yeah. So producer Julie says that's right, and yeah, who's leaving us? But people, crib if we leave this about here, they a, might think it's from us. So and like, and oh, that note, little, little known fact, it's about Henry Kissinger. <laughs> who was the guest on New York Magazine's Sex <laughs> Life last week. Who does not care for hand jobs. No. All right. Later in the show, after we're done passing dirty notes to each other, we'll be talking with MSNBC's Irin Carmon. What are those, dactyls, anapests? I have no idea Irin Carmon, co-author of a new book about the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And our guest, Gentile, you didn't know she was Gentile. But she is, is Catherine Hahn. Because she played a Jew in every she single role. Who she's only ever plays played. Jews. She's the rabbi on Amazon TV's Transparent. She's not herself Jewish, though she is married to a big Jew. And by big Jew, I just mean his name is Ethan. And <laughs> he's, he's a Jew. Um, he sounds nice. I bet he's a total mensch. And, you know, um, there should be a Tumblr for hot actresses married to Jews. And it would I be. I feel like it's called tabletmag.com. <laughs> it would be Elizabeth Banks. Rachel Weiss. No, well, she's opposite. A, she's, she's opposite. actually a Jew. Is she still with Daniel Craig? Yeah. Such a come down. For, she was with so Darren Aronofsky, right? Hot non-Jewish guys married to Jewish girls. Such a come down, really? From Darren Aronofsky? <laughs> yeah, because I, Daniel Bond? Craig, what is he? He's now the ex-James Bond. What is he? A perfectly chiseled human being? You know, just saying. Not all of us marry. I mean, I like that your type uh, is so much more Darren Aronofsky. Unlike your wife, not all women marry for perfect chiseldom, Leo. That's very true. My Leo wife does really... have a haircut today. I feel like we should note it on the air. Haircut You're... noted. And yeah. I'm so much shaved. And he's shaven. It's very nice. But it is true that women predominantly like me for my perfect body. For your perfect body. Oh, yeah. Um, it's haunted me my entire life. But I, I learned hard. to accept it. So as, while we're on your body, Liel, we got a very nice email from a listener of the right-wing persuasion, I'm assuming, who said that he loves our podcast, but he thinks that we need to have more conservatives on. And what he didn't know is that Liel, who is of noble girth, counts as three conservatives. You see, uh, to, to the listener who wrote this email, I just want to say, you see what I have to deal with here? This is exactly <laughs> the kind of liberal media persecution I put up with every single day, and I do it for you. And, and we'll win, brother. A little news of the Jews. Uh, Marcus Klingberg died. Who's Marcus Klingberg? Only the 97-year-old Jew who was the Soviet Union's highest-ranking spy in Israel, where he moved in 1948. His daughter said after his death that he spied because, quote, he was a communist who acted out of conviction and gratitude to the Red Army for having allowed him to fight the Nazis who massacred his entire family in Poland. That is confusing. 
That is like an amazing I love that he saw no other way out of it. Be like, I'm really grateful to the Red Army. You know what I should probably be doing right now? I should probably be spying. I'll go spy. I'll go spy on other Jews. Having been allowed to save Jews. Paying paying taxes strictly (laughs) just doesn't seem enough. I'll probably just do that for 40, 50 years. And while speaking of the finest minds of our time, presidential contender Ben Carson in a speech last week pronounced Hamas as hummus. I mean, I've never had more confidence in him than I had at that moment. <laughs> he was talking at the Republican Jewish. Was well, it the same thing where Donald yeah, Trump? Yeah, they made all his... really just like went all out. But he doesn't realize hummus is like a hugely loaded food. Like everyone says, it's theirs. It's very controversial. That's right. The Arabs think it's theirs. The Jews think it's he's theirs. Lo- he's walking the, into a minefield. The the Republican contenders really brought their A game to the Jewish caucus last week, didn't they? It's ben, really amazing. We have a lot to talk. about. We have a lot to talk about. While we're on presidential candidates. Donald Trump, soon to be the leader of the free world, if Liel's donation to Marco Rubio doesn't have its intended effect, gave a speech to the Republican Jewish Coalition in Washington. The Republican Jewish Coalition, by the way, is it's sort of like the light reading in the movie Airplane when the, when the woman asks for something light and they hand her famous Jewish sports heroes a little pamphlet. I mean, there are Republican Jews, but... It's a small coalition, but it wields, like, I want to say a shit ton of power in 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 the ter- in the sense of donors and the Republican Jewish Coalition honestly is like four people. It's four each people. One, each one of them has four hundred billion dollars, <laughs> and that's that. And it's get four, together. That's they, amazing. It's four people. They have most of the world's money. See, actually. That's that's why we're gonna win, brother. And that's why everyone hates us. I think. <laughs> anyway, here's so you'd think, given their massive power, that Trump would bring his A game, and damned if he didn't bring his A game. He said to them. You're not going to support me because I don't want your money. Wait, is that is that the emphasis? You're not going to support me because I don't want your money. You're not going to support me even though I'm the best thing that will ever happen to Israel. Instead, he said, they're going to support me because, quote, I'm a negotiator like you folks. Is there anyone in the room who doesn't negotiate deals? Probably more than any room I've ever spoken. It's like peak Donald Trump. It's so amazingly... Kind of perfect, but so tone deaf. But like may, so perfectly tone deaf. I think. I, I think since since we're recording, you know, a day after Trump made his now infamous comment about not letting Muslims in, that probably is peak Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, he went from offending the Jews on Monday to offending you know everyone alive on Tuesday, which is kind and of his phenomenal. offense to the Jews was just like, eh, you 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 guys like money, I like money, and the Muslims. It's actually like I'm going to keep you out of this country. So it's kind of I guess hard to be like. Trump and the Jews. He's, Why is a, I he mean, respectful? really, he's he's amazing. He, 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 Mark, you're probably too much of a nerd to have ever watched professional wrestling. Did you? Were you oh my God, it? I saw I saw professional wrestling at the Springfield Civic Center. I saw Iron Sheik and Hulk Hogan. All right. I mean, I basically Donald Trump is Sergeant Slaughter. He's I remember like, Sergeant Slaughter. He's like a WWF <laughs> like bad guy, and it's so incredibly. I mean, I know I shouldn't laugh because it's like horrible for democracy and national security, but at the same time, it's so incredibly entertaining. As somebody who's yeah. rooting for a GOP victory in uh, November 2016, are oh, you? This, this is so far beyond. Are GOP you a little music. scared? Uh, yeah, this is. I've been working all night on my Donald Trump impersonation. Okay. I, so you know, it's, but but it's really kind of incredible. He's like, um, we have to keep Muslims out of America. Uh, you otherwise, sound like you know, <laughs> Muslims like well, basically what he is, yeah. you know, Muslims like Shaquille O'Neal. He's huge. <laughs> Make sure all Americans are safe from a shack attack. Like it's so idiotic, <laughs> you you can't really begin to fathom Isn't this. Isn't this the line? Like, hasn't he just crossed the line of like he's he? Even if you just like think he's entertaining, it's no longer funny. 
Like, doesn't, isn't oh, this the point where people, long time ago. people now need to sort of say, you know, the other candidates need to come together and be like, we actually don't support what well, he just he, said. So Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention came out saying, you can't say that about Muslims. And by the way, we at Tablet agree. You can't say that about Muslims, we, right? We, we at Tablet, we, we who are decent human yeah, beings, the world all yeah. agree that well, you can't you say that, can but say that about anyone. You say that, but he, could still, be the, he could still be the nominee. The thing about these stereotypes, like that we're good negotiators, is they're always hilarious to me because I can't negotiate anything. I was at the Oric vacuum cleaner outlet on the Post Road in in Milford, Connecticut, the other day, and the guy said to me, a guy, not a Jew, definitely not a Jew, said to me, uh, "Yeah, so this this vacuum be four ninety nine, but that's not my final offer." So I said to him, "What's your final offer?" He's like, "Well, I'm not going to tell you that until you're ready to buy." I said, well, I am ready to buy. What's your final offer? He's like, well, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that until you're really ready to buy. And I was like, well, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife about whether we could afford a $500 <laughs> vacuum cleaner. If I should tell her it's a $250 vacuum cleaner, that's information I could use now. And he's like, I'll talk to you when you come back. Did and, you go back? Yeah, so, I mean, not yet, but it's like, <laughs> how am I not able to get the actual price out of this man? What negoti- What Jewy negotiating trick am I missing? So, so I they forgot find- to give it to you at birth. They're like... <laughs> I also feel oh, like the Mark. thing about Jews being cheap, I, it's so adorable. I don't understand that one because it's like I'm in the same situation. If there's ever like someone who does something in my apartment or someone who delivers something, I over tip because I just like am o- overwhelmed with like guilt and like all this craziness. Well, it's a trap you see, right? Okay. Jews are either overly materialistic and free spending like at bar mitzvah parties yeah. or we're stingy and cheap. Like we're both at the same time. Well, that's, that's a beautiful thing about a stereotype, right? right? You could be you could be both cheap and lavish simultaneously. That's right. And yet it makes perfect sense. We've invented capitalism to, to, and communism. Right. To people like Donald Trump. Right. right. Well, by the way, how does he intend to enforce the no Muslim thing? Is, is it going to be like a test? <laughs> like, hello, I'd like to immigrate to America. Are you a Muslim? Nope. Can you prove it? Like, uh, yeah, totally not a Muslim. You want to hear a segue? I'll show you a segue. San Bernardino, speaking of Muslims, San Bernardino shooter's dad gives interview, says his son was obsessed with Israel. The dad said, I tried to soothe, I'm not quoting directly, this is a paraphrase. I tried to soothe my son by telling him not to worry because soon the Chinese would expel all the Jews to the Ukraine. So he didn't have to go on jihad, that world powers would take care of it and kick the Jews out. Just chill for a little. Just chill for a little. Just sit tight. This is the greatest quote I've heard in a very long time. It's like, oh, my son, don't worry about anything. Soon all the Jews will be on trains back to the Ukraine. Why 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 are you contemplating violence? Yeah, why do you have to go to the Ukraine? Take me to Poland. Can't we go back to Vienna? We were expelled from Vienna and Berlin also. Can't we at the yeah. very least choose? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go we back to Ukraine. So many places. Like, Wait, what? Can't you, can you have like, a poll? I feel like Ukraine is like busy right now. Right. Like, they don't Ukraine really has need... other problems. Yeah. So, Leo, but, you but wrote, it, you wrote about is, this for Tablet. I did. You know, I love that this is kind of what passes for for moderations. Like, well, of course, uh, you know, a person like that, of course, there's completely fine if he hates the Jews. I mean, that's understandable. Here's a new litmus test. You want to call yourself a moderate anything. I don't care what. Muslim, Christian, or Jew. If you harbor fantasies of putting large numbers of people on trains and schlepping them elsewhere, you are not a moderate anything. What this should be question number one. This is the Donald Trump. That. Well, right. This is the Donald Trump litmus test. This should be the actual question we ask in immigration. If the answer is yes, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're going to have to go to Canada uh, where Justin <laughs> Trudeau likes your kind. But but here in America, uh, yes, sorry. Or England where Jeremy Corbyn does. Or you England where Jeremy Corbyn loves go you. go join not, the Labour Party. Not in Party. America, damn it. Yep. The thing about the, <laughs> the San Bernardino shooting, and I'm sorry I'm laughing, but like, this one thought occurred in my head, and Stephanie, this will not amuse you, Mark. This will definitely amuse you. So I'm, two, I'm excited to find yeah, out like what, what. Yeah, where's what that the Venn diagram? Is, <laughs> the Venn diagram <laughs> thinks that don't <laughs> amuse Stephanie, but amuse Mark. So the, the thing is, uh, small children. 
which do not yet amuse Stephanie and have well, been amusing. I like amusing, to look at them from a distance. I mean, exactly. I've been amusing you, Mark, for uh, about, you know, 4,000 years. Exactly. Yeah. Nights uh, now. So these these two, uh, the, the, the alleged shooter and his alleged uh, jihad bride, uh, they had a six-month-old baby, you know, <laughs> and and you remember a little bit, even though your 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 youngest one is what two now, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Right? Yeah. You still remember what six months is oh like, my right? God. I I can't help but think that there is at least a distinct possibility <laughs> that this has to do just with being a completely sleep-deprived parent. Like, it was actually postpartum oh, psychosis. <laughs> exactly. It's like enough with the infant infidel. <laughs> In heaven, 72 hours of uninterrupted sleep await. <laughs> Death to the itsy-bitsy spider. You know, it's, it's, it makes Wait, perfect so what sense. what happens to their kid No now? more Todd Parr books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no more Sandra Boynton. <laughs> Enough with the hungry caterpillar. I think this is getting offensive <laughs> to me. Hey gang, there are three live tapings coming up. This is your last chance to get tickets for our December 15th event at the Washington, D.C. Jewish Community Center. We'll be there with Elizabeth Brunig of the New Republic and Jewish food maven extraordinaire Joan Nathan. For tickets, go to WashingtonDCJCC.org. They make good Hanukkah presents, I think. Click on special events. January 25th, we'll be at the American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro, North Carolina. They're at AmericanHebrewAcademy.org. Is your child suffering outrageous anti-Semitism at his or her local school? May we suggest North Carolina? North Carolina. We'd like to suggest the American Hebrew Academy, a boarding school for your young Jew or Jewess. Oh, and then in March, we will be taping a show that you're not invited to for the United Jewish Appeal. We're just going to go, we're going to tape for them and see, see. Well, we'll ask them what the appeal is. We'll ask them what the appeal is. We're going to negotiate. what the United is. <laughs> the United Jewish Appeal. Not so united, not such an appeal. The print magazine is out. Do you want to read about Anne Frank's representation in Japanese manga, Miami Jews and the Birth of Cool, and much more? It's $40 for six issues. It's stuff that is print only. You can't get it on the web. To subscribe, text TABLET to 66866. Again, text TABLET to 66866. This week, our guest Jew is none other than MSNBC commentator Erin Carmon, co-author of a new book about the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. In fact, Erin, the book is called Notorious RBG, right? That's correct. That's correct. Um, Erin used to write for Salon and now is, as I said, a commentator. Uh, how's that been? First of all, before we get to that, what's it like becoming a, a TV person? So my title is actually a reporter, um, and I do do some commentating, but most of the time I'm on the road writing about abortion politics, the law, women's rights, that kind of thing. But um, I've seen you, like they make you do stand-ups and stuff. Yes. Yes. I've done live shots. Um, we do panels, do commentating. Do you like um, that stuff? Um, I mean, who doesn't like the sound of their own voice? So. Mark Oppenheimer is one. <laughs> no, it's fun. I mean, I, I, it's so different from writing because you just go in and you do it and then it's over. And so you feel like, wait, that's it? That's so great. Like, I, the wor- I love reporting. Writing is painful, uh, as I learned, especially writing a book. And so the idea that you can just talk your thoughts and information that you've gotten is kind of intoxicating. And live has its own kind of adrenaline. See, we're ahead of you because we talk our thoughts without any information whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> we no. don't do the whole, the whole on-the-road reporting bit. 
We just skip <laughs> the whole that. reporting we, thing is. We, br- we parking lot that. We bracket it. But it's interesting because you came from Jezebel. So you really came from the internet culture. Um, so I imagine to go from there where like things are living on and you're getting mail and notes and, you know, I imagine not nice feedback than to go on TV and sort of say like, this is it. And then you're done. Must be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had all kinds of jobs. I mean, I worked at a small paper in Alabama. Like, I had a background as a reporter. And at Jezebel, what was different about it is that it was this sort of, like, raw voice, even though I was doing a lot of reporting, too. Um, and we did have this really intimate relationship with our uh, our commenters. Um, but, you know, I think people have a, an intimate relationship with MSNBC, too. Like, you get off the air and people are tweeting you, like, why is your hair on your face? Or I can't believe you said that. My favorite was last week somebody accused me of downplaying anti-abortion violence and being a tool of the right. And I was like, that's new. <laughs> like, you must be new here. I should say that we had Katha Pollitt on the show and I sort of asked her a question, like, are you just like seeing what's happening now? Or are you just so depressed? Like, what are you doing? And she sort of said, no, there's this new generation of journalists and writers and and figures who are sort of going after, you know, covering this. And and, and I just think she named you either Should on or off. But like sort of said, like, there are Katha. actually these people who are so much smarter than I was when I was doing this and, and are so much more educated and aware. And so, so are you depressed so I, since you're smarter? <laughs> well, I was going to say that Katha is one of my all-time heroes. Now I'm, I feel like it's like dying, going to heaven that I can call her a friend. But when I was in high school, I emailed her and asked her if I could spend career day with her. And uh, <laughs> she... Um, That's great. Because I was like, you do everything that where I, you know, I want to do. It where did you live? I lived on Long Island. I went to the Walter School. I didn't know anybody, so I just kind of cold emailed her. And did, did you get to do career day with her? She was like, I work from home. Go hang out with my editor. So I went to The Nation for the day. I actually, this has nothing to do with your new book, which, we do, which we've all read and do want to get to. But Walter Schools, they're a little, they're different. Now, some of them are hardcore Waldorf and some of them are sort of Waldorf light. At, you know, at your Waldorf... You could you could learn to read whenever you felt like it, like if you were 11 or 12. How old were you when you learned to read? I actually learned to read on an LL flight. Um, <laughs> I, I went to public school until I was in second grade, so I could read when I got there. Um, but my, I have a sister who's two years older than me, and she learned how to read like she was four or five, and I was three. And I just felt like I can't let her win. So... I taught myself to read on this plane. I actually just came back from Israel yesterday. I went for 24 hours. and To do what? Uh, it was a mileage run. Um, my, my friend Anna and I wanted to make platinum on Delta. And this was actually the cheapest ticket for the longest distance. And she'd never been to Israel. And she was like, I can't <laughs> believe how rude Israelis are. Like even at the counter at El Al, <laughs> like they start yeah. shoving. And you're like, yeah. oh. I'm- I mean, she was only there for 24 hours. But we saw like the three major religions sites in the old city we did not get stabbed and is we, that... we went to the dead sea and she was like damn i can't believe how rude israelis are have you run the dollars on that like is it actually worth money to go there to make yeah, platinum, platinum because card give you like, you like tolerate I'm platinum status it's like people off. who buy stuff because it's 15 percent off even though otherwise they no, wouldn't have bought it what do you get as a platinum status is like the status. one you get upgraded thing. to first class all the time all the time for a year well so as gold i get upgraded when i work, travel for work maybe half the time and then you can see where you are in the list. So you get up higher in the list of upgrades as platinum. It was a lark. We were originally going to go to Rio, and then she didn't get her visa together. Is there something above platinum? Diamond is above platinum. Oh but it's like God. it's like crack, you know? Like There's always, yeah. There's always, there's always level. some another level that we're not going to get to this year. What is, what is Ruth Bader Ginsburg? What is her air status like? You know, she has been spotted in coach, even though she's a millionaire. Of course, she fits in, you know. Here's this, uh, yeah, she is tiny. 
but but I think she's just not somebody who likes to spend a lot of money. Like I read an account, there was an article about living in the Watergate uh, complex, and somebody, the woman who wrote it, said that she had been stuck behind this old lady um, at CVS who was rummaging through her bag for coupons, and it turned out to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I respect that because like she she's true to her values. Tell us about the genesis of the book, whom you wrote it with, and how it came to be, and what it is. So my co-author Shana Knizhnik was a second-year law student at NYU. Uh, during the end of the term in 2013, in June, the Supreme Court issued three different totally terrible for progressive decisions um, on equal opportunity in employment uh, and on voting rights. So the Voting Rights Act was the most consequential case. It basically gutted preclearance, which uh, had protected voters, minority voters in states from uh, laws that would block their access to the ballot. And RBG, as we call her in the book, broke a record for the court by reading three dissents from the bench. Usually when you do that, I mean, I love this Jennifer Senior analogy when she wrote about our book. She said it's like shaming your spouse in front of the dinner guests to read a dissent from the bench during the opinion announcement, which is usually only the majority. And Shauna was so furious about the outcome in this case, and she was so inspired by RBG's protest that she started the Tumblr Notorious RBG, obviously a mashup of Notorious B.I.G. and this tiny Jewish grandmother. Became kind of a thing. Now you can find Ruth Bader Ginsburg nail art. You can find uh, many tattoos. And, uh, you know, a wonderful editor at HarperCollins had the idea that this needed to be a biography in the voice of and the mold of this irreverent Tumblr. And so that's how I uh, ended up teaming up with Shauna to write this book together. And, you know, it's not a conventional biography. It's got her workout in it. It's illustrated. It's got annotated What is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg workout? It involves 20 push-ups. And her, her trainer has to hold her back despite the fact that she's 82 years old and she's had cancer twice. This book is sort of the crystallization of, like, RBG meme. Like, she's such a thing right now. She's sort of this pop culture phenomenon, even though she really is this brilliant scholar. And how does she feel about the like this new character that's sort of come up where young women are just like obsessed with her? I mean, people who might not pay attention to the Supreme Court are now just like getting tattoos of her. Like, I mean, what does she think about this? Because she seems so modest. She is really modest, but I also think she openly likes it. I mean, the, the, what she said this summer, I can't take credit for the notorious RBG, but I like it. And so do my grandchildren. Uh, and we, we interviewed her grandchildren for the book. And we, it's really funny to think about what it's like to be her grandchild because she gets very she got very upset when her granddaughter got a nose ring. So so she's 82, right? Uh, may she live to be 180. But uh, most likely, her retiring age is not that far off. Uh, there is, you know, a fair chance uh, that there will be a Republican president coming up soon. Uh, why not retire under Obama as, as such a, you know, champion of progressive causes and have someone appointed who probably agrees more than her views? Well, why take that risk? I just don't think she's done yet. I mean, first of all, she really is an institutionalist when it comes to the law. She's she's not a partisan, and that actually disappoints people sometimes. There are times that she's taken votes that are not what progressives would have wanted because she believes that that's what the law says. So part of it, I think, is just this is the work of the court and not just a partisan calculation, even though everybody knows that's really what the Supreme Court is. Let's be like, let's be realistic about it. Um, but within it, she feels a great pride in the institution. She's also achieved a level of seniority 
that uh, is pretty recent since Justice John Paul Stevens retired. Now she's the leader of the liberal wing of the court, and that means she gets to decide who writes what. That means she gets to write all of these amazing dissents in the big cases. So I think she's in her prime intellectually and doesn't feel ready to move on. I think it's actually that simple. What did you learn about her that really surprised you researching this book? Anything? You know, I think it's remarkable that that since she became a feminist, roughly like 1969, 1970, she's remarkably consistent. I even, when I interviewed her, tried to ask her uh, what she changed her mind about. And she just basically refused. And I kept pushing her. And she was like, maybe I changed my mind about a food I didn't like. But <laughs> She's uh, called gluten-free. She yeah, changed her mind. Paleo. About, like, paleo. But, but the ideas that she's had uh, have pretty much, you can see the intellectual uh, integrity and consistency throughout. And I find that amazing. And they don't seem old. It's not like she sort of stubbornly clung to them, although I'm sure she definitely does have a streak of stubbornness. Um, but the idea that, 40 years later, it's still so relevant. Is that streak of stubbornness part of the reason why she's uh, BFFs with Scalia? <laughs> uh, I think her friendship with Scalia, I think, is really just about the fact that she really likes to laugh. And people think, see her as this very somber person. I mean, her own children saw her as a very somber person. They used to keep a diary called Mommy Laughed. And every time she laughed, <laughs> they would write it down. But I think she's kind of loosened up a little bit. And... Um, and so Scalia cracks her up. It's like they... a jokester like Anthony Scalia <laughs> to really He bring really that is up. a jokester, though. Um, and also she thinks that legal writing is a literary craft and she admires his style, even though she doesn't too, admire right? the content. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been amazing. And we all really enjoyed your book. Thank um, you so much. What's the, it's what's... a great Hanukkah present because yeah. it's like fun. And it is really literary. I actually was, I thought it'd be a little bit lighter of a read. But you could still the, like keep it on your coffee table. Right. Like the, the, He'll be like, oh, you're cool. The written parts are are quite robustly thoughtful. I learned a lot about Why, the thank court. thank you. Since the written parts <laughs> yeah. were my responsibility, I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you very much. You've made my morning. All right. Talk to you later. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original sci-fi podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. And our Gentile of the Week is actress Katherine Hahn. 
who you didn't know was Gentile because she plays Jews in lots of, like her whole career is built on playing Jewesses. She plays Rabbi Raquel on the Amazon series Transparent, which is back for a second season. She's been on Parks and Recreation. She's been on Crossing Jordan, which I never saw, but I think a lot of people did, right? Catherine, did a lot of people watch Crossing Jordan? That was a big one, right? Apparently, yeah. It was on for some time. <laughs> was it good? Should I should I catch up? It was good. I mean, listen, it was, I, let's just say it wasn't my particular cup of tea, but a lot of people liked it. Right. It pays the bills, huh? Yeah, it, pay, it paid off my student loans. Thank you. So, Catherine, welcome. Hi, thank you. And thank you for it's It's really early out there, right? You're L.A. No, it's not that early, people. It's 640. Well, right in L.A., they've done five sets of yoga by then. I mean, how old? you guys are you so young that this is so crazy early to you it's 640 that's not that hey hey i'm a year younger than you so we're i'm i'm (laughs) says imdb you're 42 right Catherine? (laughs) says imdb no i'm 43 my imdb gave me a year which i was so excited about and i did not even have i have nothing to do with it so i mean the question we can't not ask is like how do you you're you're not a jewess yourself Mm -mm. um but here you are now i think the most important uh I'm married to a Jew. Does that help? We're going to get to that. It, well, it helps in lots of ways. Okay. Um, I mean, not just not just <laughs> interacting. Had a Jew in me. Does that help? You've had you a Jew I mean? in you. You have a little Jew in you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, the question is, how do you research that? I mean, is there a little trepidation going in? You're now, as far as I can tell, the only regular recurring rabbi on TV. Yeah, you're TV. America's rabbi. You're America's rabbi, basically. Mm-hmm. What Mark well, is really asking is, how do you channel your inner neuroses from lapsed Catholic or, to uh, or yeah. inner or to inner, nervous Jew or inner piet pietism or inner anything i mean how do you how do well, you well i uh yes i mean on my first film in how is the guy in days which was a different kind of let's just say access that you know did not require me to dig as deep let's say was was <laughs> uh, i played a character michelle rubin which was i think was i was a jew in name only but i you know was starting even with afternoon delight which was jill's first feature and i played a uh, character rachel that was such a good movie Oh, I love you were that. so awesome in that movie. So much. That was like, I mean, that was just cracked it all open for me as a performer. This was your first work with Jill Soloway, who with created Jill. Transparent, mm-hmm. right? And okay. I think, I mean, it was like a three-week period. It was so blessed. It was like in our neighborhood. We we had this little like bungalow production office that uh, we kind of we just kind of like lounged around and like beat out the script and we we used as like a crash pad while we were shooting. We shot six days a week and it was just, I mean, it was, the whole thing was so heavenly. And, uh, that was like my first, my husband had gone through reboot with her. So I had kind of like that aspect of Judaism was kind of like in my consciousness, which. That's really deep Jewy reboot. And reboot is, was these series of retreats that were held for high hipster Jews. Like, and and that felt like there was something about like not, not knowing anything about anything. That kind of like tipped. That kind of like that kind of touched. That that like connected to something like in me. I thought I there was something that I could connect to. Just as like as like a, a thinker or like a performer. Like there was something in me that was like oh that because I, I was raised Catholic. I was I went through Catholic school all the way through high school, and it was mostly because it was the cheapest private education, honestly, in Ohio. Did Did you like it? Did you like Catholic school? I my experience with Catholic school, I loved being in a single sex education. I loved that part of it. I loved like raising my hand. I loved a uniform. I loved not having the the boys around. Like I loved everything about that. What I didn't love was my relationship with like with God. To me, it was just a like, consequence and punishment. Like it was nothing about 
it was just all about what, how it would respond, everything, even Christmas, everything had to do with just like what I was, how I was going to be punished or rewarded. Well, on Christmas, it was judgy too? Everything was, well, it was Santa, it was all tied in with like, right, naughty how or nice. I was going to get rewarded or punished for my actions. So everything was just, everything was, no, the goodness was, it was just all, all of, all of like the, everything was judge, judgy, judgy, judgy. So in my mind, God was just like this kind of, like Santa got, like everything was all kind of, like, they all kind of looked the same. <laughs> like it was just like this weird kind of, like pasty white guy. Like the priests in my mind were all these sweet, dear, kind of wispy men that was like kind of, like, you know what I mean? Like these always sweaty, just like really t- like tender I mean, I was really had a crush on Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I... He's cute. Oh, he's so buff. I was down with Jesus. Like, uh, the images of him, I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, this is a little tangent, though, that I think you guys might find interesting. Bring it. Um, my son, Leonard, I took with him to a movie set. I, <laughs> this is like progressive L.A. education. So we were in this, I took him to this, I did this independent film, and we went to New Mexico together. He just came to, for like a couple of days, and it was like the sweetest, and he kind of helped out with props, and we were shooting this scene in this church, and we walked in, and I had seen the, the, like, the image of like Jesus on the cross like so many times in my childhood that it didn't even occur to me, like that it is a, quite a graphic image to see this guy in like a loincloth, like just nailed up there, like bleeding, just like nailed to a cross. It's like a graphic really violent. My son is just like, Leonard, who is like seven at the time, was just staring at it like, and I could tell that he was really just stunned. And he kept going, mommy, 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 mommy. I was like, wait, give me one second, honey, because I was talking to the director. He's like, mommy. And I was like, yeah, what's the matter? He's like, why is that Native American nailed to that cross? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, totally. I, because we're in Albuquerque, like it was like the whole thing in a nutshell. I was like, yep, mm-hmm. I totally get it. It's like, well, we kid, when you watch Pocahontas 2, right. you'll have the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, Leonard, got it's, American? Leonard so, got it some pretty anyway, deep truths there. To, okay, so Transfan comes around. I am immediately overwhelmed by the, like, of course, profound responsibility is to be playing now a rabbi. I got very overwhelmed. Like, I just started looking and I thought, oh my God, how can I? I can't. Like, what? I met with Susan Goldberg from Wilshire Boulevard Temple, who's this really rad rabbi. So you went into some sort of training with her? Like she. Just like, not really even training. Just like, we would just have lunch, and she gave me some books, recommended some books to read. And then I think, honestly, because I'm in. What I had to do just as a performer, because it was just too overwhelming, is that I just had to like look at the physical first, and I just. She was a dancer. What I had to do is ground myself in just something specific, and I just, what I took from her was just her eye contact. That was, like, my way in to Raquel, is that she, that Susan just had this, like, beautiful eye contact with me. Like, she just, it's so disarming, and so, um, she just sees you. I just... I just want to say you've done more for the Jewish people by naming your son Leonard than you have by playing a rabbi. I mean, Leonard is so. <laughs> and you kind of decided his upbringing, I mean, we sort of. Leonard. I mean, he's done. He's good. We sort of joke, you know, when, when, when one of our kind is pregnant, we say, are you going to name him Myron? Sheldon? <laughs> Leonard, Leonard is, Leonard yeah. is pretty much number three. Like, with the passing of Leonard Nimoy, it's good to know there's another Leonard in the world. <laughs> What's the other kid's name? May. M A E. 
Well, that's cool. Oh, yeah. That's very Silver Lake of you. All right, so you have some questions for us. Yes. Growing up in Ohio, I had a I, there. I see it's all about crushes, guys. I had a crush on a guy um, who worked at a sandwich shop called Grom's. Who was this like gorgeous African American guy who had dreadlocks and he had a yarmulke and he had a big pin on that said Jews for Jesus. And I was always very confused. So please tell me what is up with Jews for Jesus. Who wants to field that one? Stephanie, I'll, I'll tell I don't you. Want to. I'll... Help a sister out. What is it's Jews for Jesus? No one who is Jewish would say that they are Jewish, but they are basically Messianic Jews. They they are Jews who believe all the things that Christian people believe about Jesus and that he's the Messiah and all of that. But then they sort of say that they're Jewish and they're also like deeply pro-Israel. So it's a little confusing. Yeah, they're Christians, basically. Yeah, they're Christians Christians who call themselves Jews. Who say, but we're key. And sometimes they'll do Jewy things like they'll still have a Passover Seder. So they they are like, they believe that they're ethnically connected to the original Jews. The Christians are really like the pageantry, basically. Yeah, they want to keep Jewish. They want the food. They want to keep Jewish shtick, but they're Christians. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. So. Okay. They're Christians. What else can we help you with? uh, uh, First woman rabbi. I could answer that. Okay. Lyle. Yeah. I mean, Liel. Um, not, not, a, not a happy feel-good story for no, 6.40 sure. a.m. in L.A. Uh, a, a remarkable woman who, uh, really, it's a crime that we don't celebrate more. Uh, this woman by the name of uh, Regina Jonas, who's a German, um, born to a, an impoverished German family, lost both her parents at a very young age, uh, was neither liberal nor feminist, uh, but sort of felt very deeply that there was no reason for any uh, man to uh, do things that she's not able to do and have the relationship with God that she, you know, knows in her heart that she has. And so she uh, got a PhD in, 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 you know, theological studies and then got her, her rabbinic um, her rabbinic decree, which, which was a kind of big scandal at the time. Um, she was deported to Auschwitz. Uh, this is the unhappy part. Uh, but the amazing part is because she was also trained as a psychologist, she would greet people uh, at the train station as they were sort of being uh, being huddled into the to the death camp and she would sort of comfort and console them there and tell them that you know give them whatever strength she could offer uh, really a remark she, she perished in 1944 I believe a remarkable remarkable human being that we should celebrate much yes. more. Yeah, so Regina Jonas, well, as Liel's... Regina Jonas. Regina Jonas. But you could Google Regina Jonas uh, in Germany. In America... She's like um, the Jonas Brothers. She's the Jonas sister. I was going to say that, but I was like, is it too soon? It's too soon. Um, for American role models, these women, I think, are all still living. Sally Presand was the first reform right. rabbi, and Amy Eilberg was the first conservative uh, female rabbi. That wasn't until 1985. Um, so yeah, you got your, but, and you know, the six, and you, and, and you, Raquel, basically and it's Raquel. just you. And then it goes to Rabbi and Raquel. You, and I have, to, I have to say like your wardrobe on that show is incredible. She like, nails it. That, like those knee length skirts, like kind of trendy, but like still very modest. Yeah. I have a, and I have those a, shoes, like the shoes are such rabbi shoes, like I know. LA rabbi. It's like a stacked heel yeah. penny loafer. Catherine, you not only play a rabbi on this show, you're actually sort of like the the good character. I mean, there's a, the whole Pfefferman family is like pretty flawed and like a lot of stuff y- going on think? with them. And then you come in as sort of like the rabbi, the good light. Um, what's what's that like? <sighs> I mean, I, I, what I think is so, there's so many radical, amazing things about the people that Jill has made on this show. What I love that is there's no moralizing about any of these people. Like, there's no, that's what I also love, but going back to what I was talking about being like a grown-up Christian, is that there's no, there is no judgment. Like, there's no, like, big hand of God that comes down and is like, uh, you know, you leave your husband and kids. Like, this is your, like, 
there's no like TV punishment that you so often see in these television shows. And I think ultimately, like I, uh, I, I can't say that I walk in with that outside eye. Like when I'm just walking in as Raquel into this family, what I see just like through that lens is I see a family that is yes, like so fucked up, but nobody has bolted. It's like a it's a family that is intact. No one has has folded under the weight of like of all those secrets and all of the challenges that they are going through. That that is a a, a family unit that is like so so much stronger than so many so many other other families. I think that there's something incredibly incredibly like beautiful about that and honorable. I have a final question for mm-hmm. you, um, which is. That, look, you you do get cast as Jewesses not infrequently. Somebody out there in casting land is obviously saying, okay, she's a brunette. She doesn't have one of those, like, obviously goyish noses, right? She's not, like, all, like, chiseled up and sculpted and cut cut down to size so we can cast her as a Jew. Is that something you're you're comfortable with or is that, is that a little weird for you? No, not at all. It's not weird in any way. I mean, I feel like, I mean, listen... If I were to really go down and do my, I'm like, who oh, no, I would love, that would be awesome, actually. I should do one of those, like, family genealogy trees at some point. Because, I mean, who knows what I really am. But who knows? We'll pay for it. We'll we'll, do it yeah, we will yeah. totally pay for it, and we'll have you back to talk about it. Yeah. We'll be our Jewish guests. Catherine Hahn, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my us. goodness. I hope I was articulate in any sort of way. You were rabbinic and profound <laughs> and Jewish. And this oh, is. Oh, my God. And please, please, as a just. A, as like a as a non-Jew struggling to be a rabbi representative, please, please, please send me anything, anything, notes, advice, criticism. Oh yeah, we're gonna send you. You're, you're gonna regret this. We're gonna regret this. We're gonna send you a nice reading list. Okay. Please, please do. All please right. do. You're gonna get a 32 volume Talmud <laughs> delivered in three thirteen links. Yeah. We're enrolling you in a whole bunch of classes. Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> Go back Thank to you. bed. Thank you guys. Bye. This week, instead of Mazel Tovs, we thought we'd like to wish each other and the world Hanukkah presents. I'll start. My Hanukkah wish goes out to Stephanie. It's not, it's not money-oriented. It's not something you can wrap up. I wish you that your cat's double dosage of Prozac, which I believe you said has been up to this week, has been doubled, in doubled, fact. Yeah. I, I wish you that it works and that Cat Stevens moves into a happy coexistence with mom and dad in your downtown apartment. Thank you. That's very lovely, but my uh, Hanukkah gift wish is for the whole world, uh, and I wish for- Wait, it's not for me? All, no, no, it's for everyone. It's for all the world's towns, uh, municipalities, townships, villages, city centers, uh, to adopt the logic of Donald Trump when it comes to Donald Trump, and simply not let in any more Trumps until we could figure this whole Trump thing out. I think that would be a really great thing. But I want to keep Ivanka. Keep, keep keep Trump out. Ivanka could stay. The rest of the Trumps, uh, you know. Baby Arabella, she can stay. The rest of the Trumps should just... Is that Ivanka's daughter's name? I think she's Arabella Kushner now, so... <laughs> she's she's our next guest next week, actually. Yes, Jew. She's three. Stephanie, what do you wish us? I don't know. I want to wish us 
in in light of our Jill Soloway episode themed episode with Catherine Hahn, I wonder if it's just more transparent because that show is so good, and I more Amazon programming, Mozart in the Jungle. Those shows are so good. Okay, we have a Hanukkah present for you. Last week, you'll recall, we told you about a beauty pageant in Haifa, Israel, for Holocaust survivors. It was the Miss Holocaust Survivor pageant. Rita Berkowitz prevailed over all competitors, including her arch rival, the former Miss Holocaust Survivor beauty queen, Chava Hershkovitz, who's 82 years old. Rita is 83. And our house jubador, Jim Nabel, who you've heard on the last couple episodes, heard that segment, and he was inspired to write a song. And when Jim Nabel gets inspired to write a song, hold on to your walker. With that, we give you Jim Nabel singing Holocaust Survivor Beauty Pageant Cutie Pie. Look at you rolling down the aisle, you survivor. Look at your beautiful smile as it shines Think of the time when you thought that you'd never get out alive Your Holocaust survivor, beauty pageant, cutie pie Think of the horror people do unto each other Think of man's search for meaning as he dies Think of everything you've lost and can't recover but know why Your Holocaust survivor, beauty pageant Now you're at the beauty pageant, but you never should have tried. And at the guard, they were watching from the tower. And at the soldiers, they came in after the war. And how you tried to go home, but there wasn't a home to find. Holocaust survivor, beauty pageant, cutie pie. You survived, you survived, when by every kind of right you should have Now you're at the beauty pageant And you never Even tried 
Look at you rolling down the aisle, you survivor. Look at your beautiful smile as it shines. Think of the time that you thought that you'd never get out alive. You Holocaust survivor, beauty pageant. That was Jim Nabel. That's Nabel with a K. Knabel. He's at jimknabel.com. We love mail. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, questions, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We are a production of Tablet Magazine. We're edited by Julie Subrin, production from Sarah Ivry. Our rabbinic supervision this week is by Rabbi Greg Epstein, the humanist chaplain at Harvard, whom I had the pleasure of meeting. Kosher slaughtering is by Don Lerman, last week's competitive eater. You didn't know that, but he's gone into the, the kosherut supervision. Can we just talk about how amazing that was? Does everyone he's agree? An amazing human being. Our website is tabletmag.com. Our music is by Golem. To get our newsletter, shoot an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. I'm just asking. Shalom, friends. See you next week.